Well, guys, I'm so I'm not going to keep you long today because I know watching a, a device or something. Let me get out of the side of that. Watching a device or something, you know, is not so much as easy as sitting in a church keeping your attention. But you know, I was going to preach a message today just because of the snow and circumstances called uh, finding treasures in the snow because a lot of you guys have been living right there in the middle of snow. But man, I just couldn't get God. That, that was just a message. I felt like I was writing, not one that I felt like God was speaking. And I don't ever want to take a opportunity of us coming together and just speak a word. I want to speak his word. But God is speaking right now. And I believe over the next several weeks going into Easter, God's given me a word that I want to share with our church because I believe it's where God is taking us. Not just taking us as a church, but I believe it's where God's wanting to take you as well. I believe that over the last year we have sit and we have wondered how things were going to come about. Or we've wondered what direction the country was going to go in. Or we've been wondering, you know, what it was going to be like. Is that we're wondering, is the pandemic ever going to be over? Are we ever going to get back to life as normal? And, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of the times in the last year, I just sat and felt like I was wandering around constantly, just kind of like the dog, the tail dragging, wagging the dog instead of the dog wagging the tail. And I know the words of I am the head. And I'm not the tail. You're the head and not the tail. Life is not supposed to just direct you. But you are to be, you God placed you here and put you here for you to make an impact on life. And so over the next several weeks, I believe the, um, the title of the messages we're going to be teaching is going to be strong and courageous. Because I believe we're moving into a new time and a new season. Over the last year, we've been, we've had to learn things, learn to do things completely different and in different ways. We do church differently now. You know, we do outreach differently now. We we go to stores differently now. We gather differently now. Everything about life has changed, but I believe it was a season that God allowed us to go through to get us ready for the next one we're about to move into now. You know, in saying all that, what we're doing is we're moving into over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to teach through the, the book of Joshua which is, to me, one of my favorite books in the Bible. He's one of my favorite characters of all the people in the Bible. You know, I always, I, you know, I always say that about everybody, but I always say that's my favorite story because I fall in love with just about every story that I read and st- begin to study on. But Joshua is my go-back-to constantly because I love how God took this man and he used this man in such mighty ways. And there was nothing really that you would think he... You know, he didn't come from a godly or a uh, kingly heritage. As a matter of fact, his history was probably one of the lowest you could come out of. He wasn't like Joseph who came out of uh, a godly home that, you know, where the kids all had a promise and they were going to get a blessing one day. And it was just a matter of time before it came back about, although he went through a lot of hard situations. Joshua's life, actually, we find out and we pick up on him where he was a slave in Egypt. This man was a slave. And... You know, when he was born, he probably was told most of his life, you know, we'll probably be a slave all of our lives. Because for 400 years prior to that, the children of Israel were in Egypt and they had become slaves. And I know a lot of the children of Israel at that time had moved to a place of not having hope that they were in a situation to the point where the Bible says they began to cry out to God for help. And I'm here to tell you, I'm so glad we serve a God that hears our cries. The Bible says God heard their cries. They had gotten, life had gotten so tough for them and rough for them, and they'd gotten so miserable in ways that, you know, they began to complain to God. God, look at our situation. God, have you abandoned? God, have you left us here? 
And I want to tell you this, you know, if you ever are in a place where you feel like life has gotten so bad that, you know, it feels like God has abandoned you, you need to know he hasn't. But you also need to know is it's okay for you to cry out to God. You know, the Bible says cast your cares on him. You know, the only place I have found in the scripture that you can actually be blessed for complaining is in this in your prayer life. You know, if you've got something to complain about, you can complain about it to God. It's okay. God's secure enough to know. Like, he wants to know what your heart cries are. Even Jesus said, Lord, if it be your will, let this, I don't want to do let this cup pass from me. He said, but not my will, your will. Jesus even, you know, moved into a part of crying out of his heart because he was going through something that maybe wasn't pleasant or he didn't enjoy. But the children of Israel, the Bible says, began to cry out to the Lord and God heard him. And he delivered them. He he caused Moses to come in and, you know, set the children of Israel free through the ten plagues and all of that. But then for 40 years, they moved into a season where their mentality had to change. And I believe that's where a lot of us are over the last year. You know, we had been a part of what God is doing and been a part of churches. And, you know, we had an understanding in America. It's hard not to believe that you don't know God or you're a Christian. But I believe a lot of people have gotten in a place where Christian and serving Lord just become normal to them. And it should become a normal way of life. But then, you know, we went into the last year and things changed. And people have had to move into places where they've had to put their trust only in the Lord because everything else around us has crashed or fell or, you know, shut down or locked down or cancel culture. Everything else around us is shut down. I see that's where the children of Israel came out of Egypt and into the wilderness by the hand of God. And God allowed them to go into this wandering season and this wandering time because I believe this, their mentality had to change. See, up to that point, they had the mentality of being slaves. But now God had moved them into the wilderness where before they knew about God, in this wilderness, they actually had to move into a place where they had to know God. And the presence of God was a part of their life every day and every night. The Bible says that in those times in the wilderness that the pillar of fire would lead them at night and the, the cloud of the presence of God would lead them by day. And I believe, and I know in my own personal life this year, 2020 was a year that I had to depend desperately on the presence of God in my life like never before. But I'm glad that God doesn't just leave us in wandering times. The Bible picks up here in Joshua, moving out of the children of Israel, going through a wandering season, and moving into a possessing of the promises. You know, I believe that's what God is about to do in our lives and in our church, and I believe in around the church, around the world, we're about to move into a season of possessing promises. You know, years ago, me and Jen went through some things, and at that time I learned I can live two ways. I'm going to have to live by faith regardless, because the Bible says it's impossible to please the Lord without faith. But I learned this, that I can either use my faith just to survive, or I can use my faith to thrive. And that's what I like about this story. This story in the book of Joshua and the life of Joshua is a life about Joseph deciding surviving is not good enough anymore. And God has provided a way for him to move into a land and thrive. So we're going to, over the next several weeks, we're going to pick up on how it, how it was, what it was, and what the steps for God that God gave Joshua to be able to move out of a life of just survival into a life of thriving and taking what, the God, by God, by what God has promised us. You know, there are a lot of things in this book, and so I'm just going to kind of break it down in just a few ways this morning. First, I want to talk about, you know, what they came out of. See, for 40 years now, the children of Israel 
lived in the wilderness. And as a matter of fact, that most of the people there, except for that we can count, most of the people there, except for three, have only known what life was like to live in a wilderness and live a life of wandering. Because all of those that came out of Egypt with them had died, except for two, Joshua and Caleb, and Moses at this time, before we get into the book of Joshua. Only three people were left that actually remember what it was like to be a slave. Now we have a whole generation that has learned what it was like to have to just survive. And, you know, I've watched people this year have to learn how to survive during the way the world has went. And they've had to fight. You know, a lot of people think, you know, or the mentality when the children of Israel were actually in the wilderness that they just wandered around and went from camp to camp. They did, you know, a lot of days in those times they had to fight to survive. The enemy came after them in a lot of ways and God had to work on their behalf and fight for them. And they had to learn through different battles how they could trust on God and rely on God. Even the battle where Moses had to raise his hands and he got so weary raising his hands because the battle was taking so long for God to give them the victory that he had to surround himself with other, with other believers. Aaron and Herod had to come alongside him and hold his hands up because the victory actually didn't, was not won on the battlefield. It was won in the heavenly places. As long as Moses kept his hand risen before the Lord. God fought. I've watched that happen this year. I've watched God, God work in it, and we would fight battles just to survive. But that's not what it's going to stay. This year, I believe we're going to go into not just fighting the battles to survive. I believe we're going to move into a, a, a time this year where the battles we fight, we will gain ground and we will inherit promises. So going into this year, let's just talk about a few things about Joshua. First of all, I want to make it as relatable to you as I can. The reason, one of the reasons why I love this book so much is because it's the first book in the Bible that actually has a name on it. You know, the star of the book, of course, is Joshua. But, you know, up to this point, the different books had different meanings. It's Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, but there was not a name, a, a book name with the name on it. And this encouraged me just in the fact that you know, there was a plan in God's word for a man that maybe would not have been you would have thought to be the star when it began. But by the end, the Bible says Joshua, he, he went all the way through the land. The Bible says that he died at the very border, the furthest border of the part. That means he possessed every promise that God had for him to take. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that possesses every promise that God has for me. I don't want to leave anything on the table. I'm one of those that, you know, if there's money to be left in a job, I want to get the money out of the job. And so if we have to go back and clean up on a job or something like that to get the I will do that because I don't want to leave anything on the table. And Joshua had that spirit in him that he didn't leave anything on the table. He fulfilled every step of God's will for his life that could be taken. You know, and the Bible says this, that Joshua, he had his book, but the Bible says that there's a book in heaven right now with your name on it. That means this, that there's a plan of God for your life. God has a plan for you. The Bible says every one of your days are written in a book. Just like we in our Bible have a book called Joshua, and it tells the, the great victories and the great advancements that God used him to do. There's a book right now in heaven that has great victories and great advancements for you. It is full of promises. And the promises of God are, be, are to be possessed. They're not just to be hoped for. They are to be taken. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. I believe this year God is calling us to take the promises of God. I want to read real quick. I want to start reading with you here. That um, In Joshua 1, we're just going to read nine verses. And then I want to just bring out three points real quick with you this morning. I believe we're moving into a season of possession. 
not just reading promises or knowing promises, but possessing promises. But I believe you've got to know what promises you're supposed to possess. It says, Joshua was says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Let me stop right there. I'm going to drag through this, I'm sure. But, you know, the very beginning of this book starts off in a very tragic time. You may be here this morning and say, Cricket, I've fought all the battles I can fight this year. Things have just been so tough, and this is just a dark time. The very beginning of the book of Joshua starts off, the very first sentence starts off in a very bad time. This, this, the story says, and after the death of Moses. Moses was Joshua, as far as we can tell in the scripture, closest relationship. This was a dear friend, one that he had laid his life down to serve and honor and, and be mentored by. And so it starts off right here in this book where you would find Joshua not celebrating that they're getting to the promised land. But this book starts off in a very dark day when Moses has died. His spiritual father had just passed. I don't know about you, but maybe your life right now is not living on a mountaintop. Maybe you're in the middle of a tragedy. I'm here to tell you God takes people from tragedy to triumph. And that's what the story of Joshua is. How God's going to take a man that we pick up here reading at the very first book in a morning season where he had lost things or he had you know, suffered in these grieving situations that someone close to him has passed. But God's not going to leave him there because God has a plan for his life. God has a plan to use him greatly. And so I've watched this year and I've been surprised how, you know, there have been times even in my own life that I'm reading this first scripture and I see that it says, and after the death of Moses, you know, Joshua's whole life, he'd been told that Moses was going to lead them into the promised land. And I found myself this year as I study in this book, found myself kind of probably thinking and believing the same way Joshua did. You know, he probably thought that God couldn't use him, or maybe he wasn't big enough, but God was going to use somebody. He had enough faith in God to use somebody that God was going to use to bring about the promises of God and take them where they're supposed to go. But here Joshua had to find out that even though the person he thought God was going to use, now that that person's gone, God is still God. I know there's a lot of people questioning that is God limited now because maybe their fathers or maybe their boss or maybe mentors or you know, people that they thought God was going to use to do something no longer there. I'm here to tell you. That doesn't stop the hand of God at working in your life. You, know, you don't have to worry. I don't, I don't worry about how God is going to use America. I just pray for America because I know this. The hand of God is big enough to use America because we're still a godly nation. There are still Christians and churches that gather and pray and pray for our leaders. Do. And so I don't worry about man because I know this. Here Joshua spent most of his life believing that this man that he'd been serving was going to take him somewhere. But then circumstances and tragedy happened. And no longer was Moses there leading anymore. But did God leave him on? No, God raised up another. And it says this. It says, And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of God, Moses abide. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you, are all, you and all these people get ready to cross uh, the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where your foot shall set. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to Euphrates, all of the Hittite country and the Mediterranean Sea and in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead 
all these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give you. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws that my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it and that you will be prosperous and be a great success. I have not com- have I not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That is probably one of my absolute favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Because if God has a book with Joshua's name on it, and we know Joshua for who he was in the Bible, and let's talk about that just for a few minutes, about who Joshua was. You know, the first earliest record we have of Joshua in the scripture, well, we know that he was alive in the... um, he was alive when the children of Israel were in uh, Egypt because him and Caleb and Moses were the only ones that were still alive at the moment Joshua began to take off and then Moses died. So there were only actually two people that were actually alive. So we know, you know that he was present in Egypt. But the first earliest record we have of him actually as a person, not just knowing that he was alive there, the earliest record we have is in Exodus twenty four twelve. And it begins to talk about what he actually did. You know, I believe one of the reasons why God used Joshua so mildly is not because he had a book with his name on it, because you and I both have a book with our name on it, but it doesn't mean that our book or the, the, the plan for our life will be fulfilled. We have to be willing to choose to walk out the plan of God for our lives. The only thing stronger than the will of God on this planet is our will. If I choose my will, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. If I don't choose to lay down my will and be willing to do my life God's way, then I may never, I will never live the potential or live out the promises that God has for me. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that Joshua in Exodus 24, 12 says that he was a servant to Moses. I love that. So I, as I study Joshua, I want to find out what it takes to be a promise taker what it takes to be a, a kingdom conqueror, what it takes to be a land possessor, what it takes to be a God's will fulfiller for my life. And the first thing I see about Joshua's life was he was a servant to a man of God or he had a spiritual father. I love that because I know this. I don't have to do this on my own. You know, just on a quick leadership takeout, you know, any great leader you find is going to have a great mentor that help them get there. And I'm so grateful that Joshua shows us the picture of that, how when he was he, he had a call of God on his life, that he positioned himself to a place to be able to fulfill that calling by placing himself under a spiritual leader that would mentor him. You know, Joshua served Moses as his, as, um, his servant or his mentor or as his, uh, he, he laid his life down to be able to take care of Moses. You see it all the way through. Joshua's life up to this point. The first mention of it was that he served Moses. And so I know this. Servanthood is a part of our lives no matter what level we get to. As a matter of fact, I get asked this all the time. How in the world do you find out what God's will for your life is? I'm going to tell you the secret to walking into the will of God is you making sure that you have a servant's heart at all times. The Bible says, Jesus says, how do I become great in the kingdom of God? He said, you've got to be the, the, the servant of all. You got to be willing to be servant. You know, we were talking in our um, our Zoom 
uh, pursuit life group the other day, and I brought up the part about David. See, David was anointed to be king. Once he was anointed to be king, you know, he you would think he would move right into the castle, but he didn't. He was left with his sheep. But then God's plan started unveiling for his life, and God moved him to the palace. He began to play and uh, minister to Saul, the Bible says. So he would be in the courts, in the king's courts, and be around the king's um, table and around the throne and playing, playing his music and playing songs and bringing in the prince of God into that atmosphere. But the Bible says in Samuel that he would regularly leave the palace and go back to his father's sheep. That don't make any sense. You would think if he finally got to the palace, he was anointed to be king, that he wouldn't need to go back to the sheep. But the Bible says he would go back to his father's sheep. He would go back even though he didn't have to anymore, even though he'd done moved to the next level in life, even though God had opened doors of promotion. I believe he kept a door of servanthood in his life at all times. I believe that you must move yourself to a place to always be serving, always Always move yourself to a place no matter what level you get on. You know, maybe God's will for you. He's called you into the marketplace and you are a winner and you are called to, to go out into the marketplace and make a difference and finance the kingdom. Then I believe this. If that's what your calling is, you need to be serving in the house of God. You, If that's what your, God's will for your life is and his plan, that's what you're anointed to do, then you must move into the house of God and you must serve there. I believe this. I have my own personal I'm I'm a pastor. I believe I'm anointed to be in full-time ministry. Years ago, the Lord told me I was doing construction and I was doing ministry. And they were both, God was blessing both. And I remember the Lord asked me one day, he said, you know, which one would you like to do full-time? Would you like to do construction full-time or would you like to do ministry full-time? I said, well, I'd like to do ministry full-time. I didn't know what I was asking for at the time, but that's when I was young. <laughs> if I got asked again, I might change my mind. But I, when the Lord asked me at this one, I said, Lord, I'd like to do ministry full-time. The Lord told me that he must serve in construction. And so that's why, if you know me, I don't charge to do construction. And when someone asks me or lets me know they they have um, issues, then I mean uh, things they need done around the house. Man, if I can volunteer, I go do it free. I don't ever charge to do any construction because I have to serve someone. Ministry is my anointing, so I must serve the church Christians and serve people in that area. I believe this serving opens the door for your for your destiny. David, the Bible says, when he was he regularly would leave the palace and go watch his dad's sheep. One day his father came to him and said, would you take this bread and this, these, this meal to your brothers on the battlefield? He could have been on the battlefield. He could have been with King Saul there that day, but he didn't. He was, he'd moved himself, positioned himself to be serving his father. And then he got moved to being a waiter. He got told to take his son. He was a takeout boy and got there. But then because he had a heart to serve, the Bible says he walked on that battlefield that day and he saw that giant. And the opportunity arose, not for him just to be anointed to be king, but because he was a servant put into that position, the opportunity arose. He went down and killed the giant. It was the thing that gave him the legal right because out of killing the giant, he was given three things. One, he was given the king's hands, daughter in marriage. That made him the prince. That made him positioned to be in line to take the throne if something were to happen to the king and the prince. And see, it was the very act of serving that positioned him to fulfill the will of God in his life. See now, a lot of people just like to attend church or be a part of church, go do their work. They may even give financially and so, but they're not moved. They haven't moved themselves into a place to either serve. If you're called to full-time ministry, I think you should serve 
in the secular field. If you're called into the secular field, I believe you should serve. That servanthood must be a part of your life. And I believe Joshua understood this. And that's why he served Moses. He found a man of God serving. Now, a lot of times in our days, we've moved into a place where we think mentorship or spiritual father is them giving to us. That's not the, the way it's in the scripture. You know, if, if you truly have a, a mentor, if you truly have a, a um, spiritual father that the Lord has called you to serve, then it is your job. I'm just going to say it plain to make their life easier. That is the act of you move. Anytime I go eat with my spiritual fathers or anytime that I have time to do anything with mine, man, I don't let them pay for my lunch. The reason why I don't is because I want to make sure I'm in a position to serve because it opens the door for opportunity of God's will in my life. And so that's the first thing we see. The next thing I see about Joshua's life was Bible says in Exodus 33, it says that, you know, when Moses would leave the tent of the Lord, that Joshua would stay even longer. He loved God passionately. He didn't do it out of position. He, he served Moses and he served the Lord with gladness, I believe. But he also loved the Lord passionately. He had his own personal relationship with God that far exceeded the ministry that he had moved into. And I believe this, this year, if you're going to move into possessing land, you're going to have to build a great, deep love for the Lord, deeper than you ever have. You say, well, Cricket, how does he get that? You spend time with the Lord. Since he would stay there longer than the others. Then I believe this, he had a spiritual desire. You know, the Bible says that when Moses was caught up on the mountain, they told God, said, I want to talk to you people. I want all the people to come up on the mountain with you. And the Bible said the children of Israel says, no, we don't want to go. You go for us. And they built a barrier at the bottom of the mountain. The spiritual things just weren't that important to them. They didn't desire to grow spiritually or go higher in God or go to another level and have a, have a deeper relationship with the Lord. They wanted somebody to do it for them. But the Bible says Joshua, Moses, and 70 elders went up to the next level. And then at that level, the Bible says that the 70 elders stopped. But Joshua and Moses went up to another level. And the Bible says there Joshua stayed. And Moses went to the next level. And it says that Joshua got to see God speak to Moses face to face as a friend. He had a desire to be as close to God as he could possibly be. I'm here to tell you, you know, if you're going to be a taker of the kingdom this year, if you're going to be a, prom a promised possessor this year, an overcomer this year, you're going to have to desire spiritual things. You know, and that's not a natural desire. That natural desire is what your mind, will, emotion, your flesh want. Your spiritual desire is one that you have to feed. You know, they say that all of us have life in a sense like there are two dogs. There's a white dog and there's a black dog. And, you know, one represents our flesh and one represents our spirit. And they're always at war with each other. And the question is, which one wins? Well, the truth is, whichever one you feed the most will win every time. And so you're going to have to decide, I'm going to feed myself spiritually this year. It's going to be something that I make a choice to do. I believe the next thing that Joshua had in his life was he had a very strong faith in God. Now, you will only get a strong faith in God if you know what God has said and you have known or spent time with God and know who he is. The Bible says that Joshua, when he was just a young man, the Bible says Moses, when they first left Egypt and came to the wilderness, he sent 12 spies into the promised land. And out of those 12 spies, there were two that actually had the right picture of who God was. There were 10 came back with the negative report. They saw that the giants and the battles were so big and they were so small. They were like grasshoppers, but not Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says they were of a more excellent spirit. The Bible says when they saw the giants, they didn't think they could take it, but they knew their Lord could. They knew God could handle this. If God be for them, 
who could be against them. And they understood. They had a clear picture. They had a strong faith because they knew how big their God was. This year, you're going to have to understand how big your God is. You have to understand God is bigger than any mountain. God is greater than any storm. And I believe this year going into it that God will prove himself. The picture you have of God will be the the work that you allow the hand of God to do in your life. That's why David, I believe, said this, Oh, magnify the Lord. You know, whatever mountain, whatever battle you're seeing that is so big today, you must make the choice to see God's hand bigger. You say, well, Cricket, how do I do that? You magnify him. Well, how do you magnify God? Well, magnify means take a closer look. You know, you can get a magnifying glass. Get in the Word and look at His hand bigger. See what He's done in the past. See what He's done for those that He loved or those that served Him in the past. Look what He's done in your life. You know, you, you, man, you get a closer look. Another word for magnifying, you know, that you can take a, uh, a, um, a telescope and, you know, something that's so, so far away, it gives you a closer look to it. You start getting in the presence of God. You get closer to God than you've ever been before. You don't let there be a church service where the people are gathering together in His name and you not be there. You get a close, you get closer to God. You get a closer look of God. And then you'll start seeing God bigger than you've ever seen Him. There's nothing bigger than your God. There's nothing greater than your God. There's nothing stronger than my kids used to sing that song. You know, that, that uh, nothing, my God is greater. My God is bigger. Nothing can stop our God. I, and I, and I believe this, that he wasn't just a man of faith. I believe Joshua was a man of prayer. You're just going to have to buckle down and decide this year that you're going to have to build a prayer life. Joshua, the Bible says, when you pick up, and we'll be getting into this over the next several weeks, Joshua, when he was facing one of the greatest battles ever, the um, city of Jericho had 40 years to prepare. They had heard how they had defeated Egypt. And so for 40 years they prepared to be a, something that could stand against and keep the children of Israel from possessing the land that God had promised them. And the Bible says, though, that Joshua that night was praying before the Lord and an angel appeared before him and gave him the very answer. said, the answers to your success this year will be connected to the prayer life that you had this year. If you're going to be a promise taker, you're going to have to build a prayer life this year. Now going into, I believe he also picked good companions. Your friends will tell your future is what they say. Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says, were two of a more excellent spirit. Joshua, I love the story of Joshua and Caleb because, you know, after the 40 years in the wilderness, before both of them died, Caleb took the highest mountain. He went higher than anybody else. And Joshua, the Bible says, died at the borders, at the farthest border of the promised land. He went as far as you can go. I'm here to tell you, you better run with mountain climbers and uh, promised land takers. Because your friends, your companions, the people that you consider to be close to you, the ones that pour into you and you pour into them, they got to be someone of the same spirit you are. You say, well, Cricket, can I not have unsaved friends? No, you cannot have unsaved friends. You must have unsaved ministries. Any connection you have in life, any relationship you have with somebody that's not saved, they're not your friend. They're your purpose. You're to draw them closer to the Lord every single day. You're supposed to be the light that shines into their dark world. You're supposed to be the one that leads them out of where they are. And you build your friends in the church. And you build your friends with those that are of light faith. The Bible says light fellowship does light have a darkness. We have a ministry to the darkness. If I have unbelieved, unsaved friends, my job is to minister to them. But I build a relationship with my believers. And so that's what we do. And those are the, those are the things that I believe. I believe that God used inside of Joshua. To be who he was. Now let's talk about three points and I'm going to close. You know, the first point I want to talk to you about is in that scripture that we read there. You need to understand that the first thing 
you're going to have to do this year to become a promise taker. It's just like in Joshua 1.9, the first thing he told them, as a matter of fact, three times there in that one, Joshua 1, 1 through 9, three times God told Joshua to be strong and be a, and be a, a courage. Why would God have to tell him three times in the same little conversation? And that wasn't the first time he heard it. As a matter of fact, when Moses commissioned Joshua to take his place, two times Moses had to tell Joshua to be strong and be courageous. And then at the end of the chapter of Joshua 1, the people looked at Joshua and they said, be strong and be very courageous. Because obviously Joshua had lived a life that maybe wasn't out front. Maybe he didn't look like the bold, strong leader. Or maybe he wasn't known to being super for being super strong and very courageous. But I believe God had to teach him how to do that. And I believe in the first nine scriptures of the book of Joshua, God gives us three, the three components of how to be strong and courageous. And over the next several weeks, we will break them down to another level. But number one, I believe this. You have to believe what God has promised. Here in Joshua 1 now, Joshua goes into deep, God goes into detail, telling him, he says this in verse 3, he says, I will give you every place you where your foot has set, as I have promised Moses. You're going to have to become a promised believer. Now, the problem with a lot of us, and even in my own life, about believing promises is, because when we read promises in the Bible, we see that God told other people this stuff, we have a hard time understanding that that promise is for us. And I believe Joshua understood the same thing, fought the same thing. Here it says, I'm going to give you every place your foot set, just as I have promised Moses. It wasn't even Joshua's promise. That was Moses' promise. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even Moses' promises. You can go back into Genesis 12, and that's where God made that promise to Abraham. He told Abraham that I'm going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, that promise was given to Abraham, and Abraham didn't possess it. And then God gave that promise to Moses, and Moses didn't possess it. And then so Joshua's here, and God is saying, Joshua, you're going to have to believe that the promises I have said, they are yours. Even though maybe you didn't hear me say them, they're yours. And I'm telling you now, they're yours. You're going to have to become a, a, a promise believer. You have to believe what God has promised. If his word says it, it's for you. You need to understand this. If God's word said it, that's your promise. You say, well, cricket, they said it to the early church. You are the church God spoke to. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says that everywhere his foot tread, he was going to give it to him. And you need to understand something about those places where his feet tread. His feet were stepping on land that belonged to someone else. There were giants that possessed the land at that time. The promise of God was this. I'm going to give you the land that you've always dreamed of. I'm going to give you the life that you've desired, but you're going to have to be willing to fight for it. It's yours. I promise it to you, but a promise is fulfilled by you standing up and taking a step. There's going to be steps this year you're going to have to take if you're going to be a promised possessor. Joshua was promised everywhere he put his foot. His job was to put his foot where God told him to put his foot. And he goes on and tells him where the borders are and all of it. You know, if there's a promise in the Bible, it doesn't matter who he was speaking that promise to. It's yours. You have to believe it because God never changes. His promises don't change. And so you have to look in the scripture. And if it says that you are healed, then you have to believe that promise is for you. And you have to be willing to walk out that scripture. You have to walk it out. But see, you know, the Bible here calls the land that he was given the promised land. 
to us, that land is still a promise. But that land is not the borders of Canaan. Or the Bible now tells us that in the New Testament, that our promised land is an abundant spirit to life. Jesus said, I come to give life and life more abundantly. You, are, you have been given a promise that your life is to be, be lived and to be lived abundantly. You are to be, to be able to live a spirit-filled life, a life that flows out of the river of God. The Bible says that the spirit is like a river, and we don't really have time to go into it, but the spirit is like a river, and it flows, and the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you. But what he's trying to do is the promise he's given you is a spirit-filled life that flows like the woman at the well. The Bible says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink because I'll put a river on the inside of you that flows. You'll never thirst again. See, your life, God's promise for your life is to be full of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness. All of those things are yours. But you're going to have to believe they're yours. And if you believe they're yours, you'll be willing to fight for them. You say, well, cricket, the devil has just been fighting me so hard. He's so strong. That's why in Ephesians, the Lord said this. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. This year, we're going to learn how to get strong in the Lord. We're going to have to learn to be strong and courageous. And over the next several weeks, we're going to go through steps on how to strengthen your spirit, to be able to withstand in the days, to possess your promise. So number one, you've got to believe the promises. If God said it is for you. Number two. Here in Joshua 9, he says, you have to keep my commandments. you got to be willing to step out and walk out the promises. Number two, you're going to have to keep my commandments. Now, you got to understand this, that the, the commandments of the Lord are not optional. They're not suggestions. And if you're going to possess the will of God for your life, you're going to have to be willing to believe, trust, and obey. It says, keep my commandments. Make sure that you keep, oh, Joshua, make sure that you keep all the commandments that I've given you. You know, God didn't write when he met with Joshua or he met with Moses up on the mountain. He didn't write on a white marker board with a dry erase marker. Although our society and in our times now would tell us that, you know, some of the commandments of the Bible should be, you know, they're really not relevant anymore. We don't get to pick and choose which commandments we want. He wrote those, he wrote those ten commandments that day in stone with his finger because they were never to be erased. I'm here to tell you this. We don't live by the law. He's fulfilled the law, but we can live out the law. We can we can live the way God's asked us to live. And we do that by living out his commandments. If we can learn to obey God, there's nothing in this world we can't possess. You know, obedience, the Bible says, is such an important thing that it's even greater than sacrifice. I'm a sacrifice kind of guy. I like to do the extra credit stuff because in school I really wasn't that studious and didn't really like to buckle down that hard and ADD and all the other things. So what I do is cut up and mess around during classes and maybe not learn all that I should. But then the way I would get by a pass is I would wait for them to offer extra credit and I would do the extra program or extra project to be able to get my grades up good enough to where I would pass. And I've learned this in the Bible, though. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, I've told this story many times, but if my dad calls me and says, hey, Kirk, I want you to come in paint the house, but I show up out there and I mow his yard and I clean his windows and I go in and clean the kitchen and I do everything else around the house except paint it. I wasn't obedient. See, obedience is better than sacrifice. You can do all the extra credit stuff you want to. You can, you know, uh, show up for every church service. You can, you know, go out and help the poor you want to. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do as I said do? Keeping the Lord's commandments is what takes us into the promised land. And God told Joshua, he says, 
I'm going to give you this land, but you're going to have to keep my commandments. Is there an area in your life that you know that you maybe haven't been living the way you know God has told you to live or you've not been keeping a standard that God has called you as a believer to keep? That's got to change. You've got to be willing to lay that down this year. And then thirdly, and I'm done. Thirdly, we got to be able to, he told him to study the word. This year, for you to be a promise taker, a promise possessor, promise taker, for you to live the spirit-filled, abundant life that God has called you to live, for you to possess the promises and to thrive this year and just not survive any longer. We're going to fight battles, but you will not lose a one as long as you are, build, as long as you are keeping his commandments, as long as you are studying the word. He said this, he said, he says, don't let a word of the law depart from your mouth. But meditate on it day and night. It says, and everything you will do will succeed, and everything you will do prosper. You got to get hungry for the Bible. I know, I know that's that's different because the Bible is a hard book to read, and especially somebody like me that has a hard time reading. Got to be honest, with you, it's not real easy. But I can tell you this: you can learn to love anything. Because I remember several years ago, I was in New Orleans, and you know, in Arkansas, they didn't have a lot of sushi restaurants back then. But there was a sushi restaurant in New Orleans. And so I was there for a conference, and so we went to the uh, sushi restaurant and ate because I'd always heard how great sushi was. And so I said, oh, let's go try And I sat in the sushi restaurant, and then we ordered it, and I took it. And the first piece I put in my mouth, I had a, an idea of what I thought it was going to taste like or feel like. And, man, it caught me off guard, and my gag reflex hit. The texture of that sushi was so foreign to me that I almost threw up, and I could not finish anything on my plate that day. And so I left there telling everybody, I don't know how you eat sushi. I hate sushi. And they tell me, no, you got to keep trying it. If you'll try it three times, he says, you'll find out that you really like it. And I took him up on his word. I, I tried sushi again. And the second time, I was actually able to chew it. And the third time, I got to be honest with you, I'm hooked. Me and my family, even my girls, we go eat sushi about once a week now because it's addictive. The word of God is the same way. You may not like the texture of it at first, but if you will make yourself stay in the word, you know, I've learned this about the word. If you don't, if you want to be used mightily by God, any man that's ever been used mightily by God, any woman that's ever been used mightily by God, there's a connection to the word of God in their life. They they know it, they study it, they meditate on it, and they believe it, and they speak it. You will not be able to be a, a promise possessor without the word of God being a part of who you are. And you can tell if it's a part of who you are by if it comes out of your mouth. So do not let a word of the law Depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And you say, Craig, I, I just get lost in the Bible. Well, the Bible's a really big book, but it can be the same way you eat an elephant. You do it one bite at a time. You know, if you read five pages of the Bible a day, starting in January, you'd be done by December 26th with the entire book. That's amazing to me. I was terrible. The first time I told that, I was shocked. Just five pages a day. I gotta be honest with you, I'm not a five page guy. I'm more like a five or ten verse guy because I get lost in five pages. So what I do is I try to take five, ten scriptures a day, and I'll read that, and then I will study or meditate on that all day until I hear what God is speaking to me out of it. But it takes the Word of God being a part of your life for you to be a promise taker. So this year going into it, you're going to have to determine those are the three things I'm going to do. You know, you're going to have to study the Word. You're going to have to keep His commandments. Get my notes back, right? You have to keep the commandments. You have to believe what God says is true. I'm going to close with this. I love the story how Joshua 
when God got ready to use him mightily, he didn't necessarily know his value, but he understood his value would be where he kept himself. I, I borrowed one of my girl's watches here today. You know, this watch is a cool watch. Alexis, my daughter, she's a Disney fanatic. And so uh, everything she has is Disney, so I can buy anything with a Mickey Mouse on it, and she's extremely happy. And, you know, I could have went to Walmart, and they have a $9, $10 Mickey Mouse uh, watch, and bought her a watch there, and she would have loved it and cherished it. But to be honest with you, it wouldn't have the value. You know, this watch right here is a Mickey Mouse watch, and if you Google this watch online, you can find one just like it for $15.88. And so to someone that would just maybe see this watch or pick it up and say, oh, that's a cool watch, I like it, but you know, the value of this watch is only $15. To me, if I wore this watch, that would probably be the value to it, of it to me. But it's a little bit older than a newer one you can buy. This is almost the exact same watch, but this is a little bit older. It's more of a classic one. So the value of this watch is not just on surface level. You can go to the next picture. Because it's a classic, go to the next picture for me. Here um, is the same watch, but now it's went up to $64. It used to be $500 if you see it at the bottom because now it's used. And once something's been used, you know, some people don't understand the value of this watch, but because it's been through things or been around things or maybe been left on a shelf, forgotten, it's so what was $500 now is $64. Maybe you're here today and you feel like just an ordinary run-of-the-mill watch. I believe Joshua faced that at one point where he didn't understand his value because there were so many other people in the children of Israel that had more important jobs or seemed to be more important in, in what they did. There was Aaron and his family and you know Aaron and her were used. My love God, help. But all we see Joshua doing is serving and at times being on a battlefield, fighting for his life. But God knew what his value was. Or maybe you hear you say, Cricket, I once had value, but I've been used so much, I feel like I've lost my value. And I'm like, that's sick of that, that watch, same watch, but it's just been used. And so it went from $500 because it's an older classic, now to a $64 watch. But let me tell you the story behind this watch. This watch in our family, is way more valuable than the 1588. It's way more valuable than the 64, and honestly, it's way more valuable now than the 500 because this watch has a story to it. My little girl, Alexis, her favorite show was Once Upon a Time, the Disney series. The Disney series that came on ABC for seven seasons running, they had a um, thing, and it's all the Disney characters and all that, and Alexis would watch it hour and hour and hour again. And on her birthday a few years ago, she was, I'm telling you, if I came home, the kid was watching this stuff. And so me and Jim wanted to get her something that would be a great value to her. So we started looking, and in the show, they do what they call, go ahead and change that. They do what they call hidden Mickeys. Because it's kind of all the Disney characters, but in the show, you can watch and look for different things, and there'll be hidden Mickeys around the in um uh, the pawn shop, there was an old Mickey phone, or, you know, all the way through the show, they were doing hidden Mickeys. There's like 11 of them in this program. And so as we were looking to find Alexis' uh, birthday present, to show her how much she meant to us, you know, because that's what we like. We like to celebrate when people are born. 
And that's we thank God if there's any Jehovah's Witness. I believe our God's secure enough for us to celebrate birthdays because God gave us, God put us here on that day to make a difference. And so we celebrate those days. But so we got to looking and we found this watch. Now this watch, I could get a reproduction of it for $15. I could get one of the original classics for was 500 but if it's ever been used out of this package, it's down to 64 But this watch wasn't used for just any old thing. This watch is what they call a hidden Mickey in this program. And so this watch now, no longer is it just a, a watch or a replica or a used watch. Now it's become actually a, a movie, um, a TV show memorabilia. It has a certification that it actually did something and it actually meant that it was one of the hidden Mickeys in the show, which brings the value into the thousands. And so now that we've taken the same watch and because of what it was used to do and what it did and what it represented, it became even worth more. But now let me tell you something about this watch even better than that. This is the first time I've ever really had it out of its package because who this watch belongs to is Alexis. And so I'm not allowed to mess with it. In the show, it's Tilly's watch. And I'm not allowed to play with it. I'm not allowed to touch it. It's the first time she's ever let me show anybody it because this watch may be worth thousands to the general public now. But to her, this watch is irreplaceable. You couldn't offer her enough money to buy this watch from her because this watch has meaning. This watch is special. And this watch is hers. I say all that to say this. Today, guys, there's a book with your name on it. And if you understand the value of that, and you understand who you really are, she keeps this watch not just in one bag. She takes it, puts it in this bag, then takes it and puts it in this bag. And you can't really probably see, but there's a protective plastic covering shield in this next bag that will make sure the value of this watch <laughs> stays protected and stays hers. For as long as she wants to keep it. The value of this watch is not what it is. It's not even anymore where it's been. It's who it belongs to. And here we go to the next one. Your life and your value and what this year will hold will not be what you've been through, where you're at, or even what you want. You may feel what your natural value is. God has a plan for you just like Joshua. His plan for you is to possess and take things for his kingdom. But for you to do that, you're going to have to understand your life is going to have to be in the hands of God. He's going to put you in protective things. That's why he's given you the promises you're going to have to believe. You're going to have to be willing to surround your life with the, with the, with the uh, commandments that he's commanded you to live. And you're going to have to be willing to put yourself in the word so that the word can grow and become and grow out of you what God has destined you to be. And then when that takes place this year, guys, you become irreplaceable. Joshua is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because I believe he understood his potential. And if you get nothing out of the next four or five week series, I want you to see what your potential is and how, it's, how and what it is for you to be able to accomplish it and what you need to do to be able to possess the spirit-filled life that God has for you. Can I pray for you real quick? I'm going to let you go. I'm here at home today, and I see I've been on here a long time now. I've been comfortable, so I apologize if it's been long. But I want to pray that this year not just be another year, but this year be a, a promise-taking year for you. And that God would reveal to you who you are, what your value is, 
what you need to do and how you need to do it to not just survive 2021, but to thrive in it. And if you're here today and you say, Cricket, I don't know the Lord, but I want to know that there's a plan for my life. All you've got to do is accept him. That's simply put your life in his hands. And so you can pray this prayer with me. Say, dear, dear Father, I ask you to forgive me for any sin. Lord, I ask you to come into my life and become Lord. Lord, I put my life into your hands to live my life your way, for you to use me for the destiny that you put me here to live. God, I want to be a promised possessor, a land taker. I want to be a life liver and not just doing this on my own. I thank you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead. And today I accept him as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that with me today, would you simply put this in the comments? Because we have a pastor working with the way that what he does is he helps people that take that first step, that step toward becoming a new life. And we call it our new believers class. Maybe you've known about God your whole life, but you prayed that prayer with me. We want to help you know what step to take because I'm here to tell you this. If you shut your computer or close the service down and you do exactly what you were doing before yesterday and today, you'll be exactly what you are tomorrow. But Wade, if you'll put your name in here that you prayed this with me, I want you to put it in the comments so that we can contact you and Wade will be able to tell you what the next step for you is to take because it's so awesome and easy to live for God. You just take it and do it by steps. How do you become spiritual? You just take the next step. You keep taking steps. Like the Bible said there in Joshua, it says, everywhere your foot play, everywhere you place your foot, you will possess. It's just a step. God's plan for your life is just a step. And we're just going to keep taking steps. So if you prayed that with me, I want you to put your name in the comments. Say, I prayed so that we can contact you and we can tell you what step it is. Hey, guys, I love you. Hey, be there Wednesday night for the uh, live groups, and I will see you Sunday morning. We're going to start the series live and in person with how to be strong and courageous. Hey, God bless you. Have a great Sunday.